family in Christ, thank you for um, being with us this day, for, for being our family, for receiving into the family our little one, Lily and Claire. It means more to us than we can say. Before we dive into our scripture for today, let us pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit. Then in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, today we pick back up in our lectionary in Luke's Gospel in chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that no one who might want to pass from here to you can not do so. No one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Now I have to admit that when we decided on a day for baptism for our daughter, and then I read the lectionary passage for the day, I wasn't thrilled. (laughs) It's a really, really hard teaching of Jesus, is it not? It raises all these questions about money and suffering and even the details of the afterlife. Who can talk to who? What does it look like? How does that relate to baptism? But as I dug deeper, the Spirit revealed to me that all these questions in our minds are subsumed under one much larger question. A question that has everything to do with baptism. A question that has everything to do with all the teachings of Jesus. And that question is this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Congregation, would you please join me in the response? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Friends, baptism is the visible sign and seal of our answer to this question. It is the sign and seal of where we find our only comfort in life and in death, that we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This belonging is nothing we earn. It is a free gift of grace earned for us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Infant baptism, in particular, has become, to me, the most vivid symbol of unmerited grace. As the waters drip over the little baby's face, God's message to her is this. Little child, before you could even say the name God, the Heavenly Father loved you. Before you were even aware of sin, Christ died to wash yours away. Before you even knew you needed a family, the Holy Spirit engrafted you into God's family, the church. Because of Christ, little one, you belong to God. And in God, you have all you need, body and soul, life and death. This, my friends, is the grace of God. It is for Lillian It is for you, it is for me, it is for all of God's children. It is our only comfort in life and in death. But it is this message of grace, of our comfort in God, that I think the rich man in the parable has completely missed. It is this message of grace that the Pharisees, to whom Jesus was telling this parable, had completely missed. You see, the Pharisees, like the rich man, were trying to get comfort by their own means. They were trying to earn their belonging, earn their justification, earn their own sense of value and meaning. And one way they did this was by hoarding wealth. You see, we read just five verses earlier in verse 14. The Pharisees were lovers of money. But Jesus had just told them in verse 13, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. But the Pharisees, like the rich man, you see, they had become slaves to wealth. They had become slaves because they were counting on their material possessions for their comfort to make them feel accepted and important, to make them feel valued in their own eyes, in the eyes of others, even in the eyes of God. This is where their comfort lie. But it wasn't just a temptation back then, was it? How many of us today have tried to make ourselves feel important by what we wear, what we drive, what our homes look like? 
embarrassing fact, when I was an early teen, my mother is here to testify, I went through this really awful phase for about a year or two in which I only wanted to shop at two stores, Limited Two and Gap Kids. I know, snotty, huh? My poor mother put up with me. She hasn't disowned me yet, so thanks, Mom. But why did I do this? I did this because I was so insecure. I was trying to earn my worth, my value, my belonging, all on a stupid thing like a sweater. Friends, that's a lot of pressure to put on a piece of wool. And despite my best attempts, it didn't work because that's silly thinking, isn't it? There's always going to be somebody that has something newer, better, cooler. We try to find comfort in earthly things like possessions or our looks or fame or our accolades, and we find that it never satisfies. Like a highly addictive drug, we have to keep getting more and more to fill the empty cavern of our souls. One moment, I'm going to take these earrings out, see if I stop getting feedback on that little. And while our girl leaves, she didn't like that story about teenage girls not getting the clothes they want. She's out of here. I'm done, Mom. I want what I want. So this temptation to find comfort in earthly things isn't limited just to teenage American girls. It spans all times, all places, all peoples. And this is the temptation that overtook the rich man in our parable. Because this man, he accumulated all the best that the world could offer, and then he built this big gate to keep everyone out. Because when your comfort relies solely on your stuff, you better be sure no one is touching that stuff. All mine, he declares, for he doesn't realize that it's not actually his in the first place. He had missed this in the Psalms. The earth is the Lord and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Friends, this means that you and I, all that we have isn't actually ours, but the Lord's. In this, too, we are reminded when we witness an infant baptism. That little Lillian Claire, she did not create herself in her mother's womb. She did not make her heart to beat and her lungs to breathe. She did not give herself a brain and muscles that enable her to think and to play, that will one day enable her to work and earn an income. All of this is a grace of God. All of life is a gift. So it is with you and with me. So it was with the rich man. But he missed it, didn't he? He missed this fundamental truth of grace. He likely thinks, I've earned all of this on my own. Mine, mine, mine. As a result, he clings to the gifts and ignores the giver. When we do this, when we cling to the gifts and ignore the giver, we will never, ever be satisfied. For as St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Friends, when we miss grace, when we cling to the gifts and ignore the giver, we will always be restless. 
But there's another danger, too. When we miss grace, we start to judge others and ourselves based on whatever gift it is that we choose to use for comfort. Sort of the rich man who found comfort in wealth and status, Lazarus's poverty and his low social standing render Lazarus pretty much worthless. Look at this. Verse 20 says, And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. Now, the Greek verb that is used here for to lay is the Greek word balo. And balo is used elsewhere in Luke's gospel for the action of throwing. It's used to describe throwing away worthless salt, throwing things into the fire to be demolished. To the rich man, Lazarus is a throwaway person. But the rich man is wrong. You see, in God's eyes, there are no throwaways. To God, it doesn't matter what we have or don't have. But to God, it turns out, what does matter is what we do with what we have, especially in relation to those who have not. What matters is what we do with what we have, especially in relation to those who have not. But before we get to this point, we're going to come back to it in a few minutes. Before we get there, we have to get one thing straight. Before we get to what we do, we have to understand who we are. And what we are is not primarily rich or poor, healthy or sick, or any other label we can conjure up. Who we are it primarily at our core is children of God. But we are quick to forget this, aren't we? We are so quick to label ourselves and others as throwaways based on what we do or don't do, what happens or doesn't happen to us. Therefore, to remind us of our identity, God gives us a gift. God gives us baptism. When we are tempted to forget who we are, God invites us to remember our baptism, to look back on this visible sign that reminds us of a very powerful, invisible grace. That through Christ, we have been adopted as God's beloved children. That, my friends, is our identity. To little Lillian Claire, one day, if you get cut from that sports team or rejected from that school, remember your baptism. You are not a throwaway. You are the beloved child of God. One day, if your friends turn their backs on you or that boyfriend breaks your heart, remember your baptism You are not a throwaway. You are the beloved child of God. If one day your career crumbles or your health begins to fail you, remember your baptism. You are not a throwaway. You are the beloved child of God. Heaven forbid, should one day tragedy befall, you find yourself poor and alone, covered in sores and begging for scraps. Remember your baptism. You are not a throwaway. You are the beloved child of God.
And so it is with you, Tommy, and with you, Haley, with you, Anna Mae, with you, Larry. Whatever comes your way, remember, you are the beloved child of God. In this, we find our greatest comfort. This assurance of our adoption as God's beloved is the reason we chose for our daughter the name Lillian, or Lily for short. You see, the, the lily flower is a symbol. It's a symbol of innocence and purity and beauty. And as such, it has become the traditional flower of Easter. The lily reminds us that through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we are made innocent and pure. We are beyond beautiful in God's eyes. And the lily flower also reminds us of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in which he tells his disciples, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. So little Lily and Clary, you don't have to shop at Limited 2 and Gap Kids. You'll be just fine. <laughs> Joking aside, Jesus is instructing his disciples, seriously, don't worry. If God so cares for the flowers of the field which are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will God care for you, his beloved child? And this is our prayer for our Lily. That deep within her bones, she would know that God cares for her. That she belongs, body and soul, in life and in death, to her faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. A Savior who loved her so unconditionally that he died before she could even say his name. And brothers and sisters, fellow children of the covenant, this is my prayer for you too that you would be assured deep within your bones who you are. You are the beloved child of God for whom Christ died. May you be assured and comforted in this identity. And then, friends, once we receive this blessed assurance, it's time to get to work. It's time to respond with gratitude, to spread the good news to all the world of this comfort that we ourselves have received. It's time to celebrate through our witness. Let's revisit this last part of the Heidelberg Catechism. Please join me again. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. The rich man in our parable couldn't live wholeheartedly for God because he was living wholeheartedly for himself. Because, friends, this is what happens when you try to earn your own comfort, your own justification, your own value. You have to spend all your time and energy and resources on yourself. But when we receive true comfort, Christ's comfort, suddenly we find that our energy and resources are freed up, freed up to be used as God intended them in service of others. So this is your challenge for this week. I encourage you 
think about the comforts that Christ has given you. Comforts for both body and soul. Think gratefully of these. Do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you have hope? Comforts for the soul. Do you have comforts like intelligence, strength, skills in manual labor, compassionate listening, a loving family, a warm home, food in your pantry, comforts for the body? How might God be calling you to spread these comforts of Christ to others around you? In Jesus' parable, the rich man misses this call to comfort others. And it's, it's very interesting that he does so. You see, the, the name Lazarus means God helps. Lazarus, God helps. So perhaps the rich man assumes God will help him. So I don't have to. Or maybe even God helps those who help themselves, right? But again, he's wrong. He misses the fact that perhaps God has given him this wealth so that he can comfort Lazarus and others like Lazarus who have fallen on hard times. Blessed to be a blessing. This is how God works to bring forth his redemptive purposes in the world, starting all the way back with the first covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. But the rich man missed it. He missed out on grace, and therefore he misses out on gratitude. He misses true comfort, and therefore he misses his true call. And the result? Misery and regret. But my friends, there is another way. It is the way of self-giving love as shown through Jesus Christ himself. And if you think it's too hard that only Jesus can do that, well, only Jesus can give up himself as much as he did. But we can imitate through Christ's strength. And to give us an example of someone who was able to do that, I offer to you the life of St. Clair. So Claire's story is this. She was born in 1194 in an Italian town named Assisi. She was the eldest daughter of very wealthy parents. Her father was this wealthy representative of an ancient Roman family, and he owned a large palace and a, a castle on a mountain. Her mother was also part of a noble family. She had the life of a princess. With this lineage, it was expected that Claire would live much like the rich man in our parable, up in her castle, with a big gate around it to keep her from the rest of the world, wearing the finest clothes, eating the finest foods. This is what was expected. But you see, when Claire was 18, she went to a Lenten service, like a service we're having today during the season of Lent. And she heard this man, St. Francis, preach, and she was so moved by the grace of Christ that on March 20th, 1212, just six days ago, some hundred years ago, she devoted her life to God. She left her father's house, exchanged the rich gown she was wearing for a plain robe. She committed right then and there to live wholeheartedly for Christ all the days of her life. That call she sensed that Christ had placed on her life was to take a vow of what she called joyous poverty. 
She devoted her life to manual labor and prayer and the service of God and others. She went on to found a monastic religious order called the Order of Poor Ladies. Claire and her followers vowed to live simply, to go barefoot, to eat no meat. And Clara also was very courageous in that she became the very first woman to write a set of monastic guidelines. This was unheard of. And her courage and her devotion to Christ has influenced those within and outside the church for hundreds of years. Now, Clara's life wasn't easy by worldly standards, yet it proved to be one overflowing with joy and gratitude. She is a juxtaposition of the rich man in the parable who, the rich man, he dies full of regrets. And yet Claire, on her deathbed, as she breathed her last, she said these words, Blessed be you, O God, for having created me. And it is after this legacy of St. Clair that we decided to give our daughter her middle name. It's our prayer that our little girl would also courageously follow in the footsteps of Claire, offering her life in joyful, self-sacrificial love of God and others wherever and however God calls her. But to us, the order was important. First, Lily. First, this symbol of resurrection, hope, and life in Christ. First, we pray that she finds astounding assurance and comfort in this Christ who has died for her. Then, then when she is full of gratitude for this comfort, she would accept Christ's call to live courageously a life of self-giving love for him who died for her. Comfort and call. This is the life of a child of God's covenant. This is your comfort. This is your call. This is your life as a child of the covenant. So my prayer for you is the same as it is for our little girl. That you would receive this life of Christ that he offers you. That you would receive this blessed assurance and this call to a life of meaning and purpose beyond your wildest imaginations. And as you receive this life of Christ, may you be so full of joy and gratitude that as you breathe your last, you may be so moved to say, Blessed be you, O God, for having created me. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you loved us before we could even say your name. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for our comfort. Thank you for our call. Thank you for this, the body of Christ, that encourages us, that helps to care for us, to provide comfort through you. We pray that we would devote our lives to you, living courageously in self-sacrificial love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.